Well, I too say good morning to you here on this great Sunday. How many of you, though, honestly had a hard time sleeping last night? It was hot. How many of you? Okay. And then also another question, how many of you have Olympic fever right now? Okay, several of you. Okay, I'm targeting those that raise their hand twice. I'll try to keep you awake here this morning. My little connection to the Olympics, can I tell you what it is? I actually competed against and defeated Carrie Walsh, the beach volleyball gold medal champion, probably win the gold this year. I dominated her. Um, I was 12 years old, she was nine, and we were playing Little League Baseball against each other. So that's my sad claim to fame. I will never get near a volleyball court in her. Um, But uh, glad that you are here this morning, as Doug alluded to and Josh, we're talking about baptism. With that in mind, let's turn to one of the greatest stories that's ever been proclaimed about baptism. It's in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you hit Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8 with me. There's Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You Feel free to grab that. And if you don't have a Bible at home or in your car or somewhere that you're going to use it, take this one home. We'd love for you to have it. Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 25. And I'll read out loud. Just follow with me. Acts 8.25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And she had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Just to refresh you, if you haven't heard the story in a while or maybe ever, so there's this guy who's an Ethiopian. And he comes from Ethiopia and northern Africa, winds through what is modern-day Sudan. Back then it was called Kush goes through Egypt, finds his way into Israel, lands in Jerusalem, and he's a God-fearer. So he goes to the temple, and he worships there at the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's time for him to return back to his duties in Ethiopia. It says that he is in charge of all of the queen's treasure. So not only does he have a lot of leadership, but he probably is pretty wealthy too. He's heading from Jerusalem. He's not quite into Egypt yet. The Spirit of God lays it on this guy, Philip, to go find him. And so Philip goes, and he finds this Ethiopian reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, the Ethiopian, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. It's Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this, of himself 
or someone else. This guy is just ripe to hear the good news of Jesus. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture in Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is a radical story, but look at this last verse, 39, just even adds a spice to it. Verse 39, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. And then he went away rejoicing. This is a crazy scene. There's this God-fearer from northern uh, Africa. He wanders up to Jerusalem, worships there at the temple, still has tons of questions, though, about who God is, leaves Jerusalem, comes down the path. He's headed home. Philip, inspired, moved by God, shows up, says, do you know what you're reading? How would I know? I have all these questions. Philip, taking the very best passage, I think, that you could ever explain Jesus from to a Jewish person, takes Isaiah 53 and proclaims Jesus through it. This Ethiopian believes, and then they see some water, and he goes, let's get baptized. He gets baptized, and then Philip just disappears. Says the spirit moved him. I don't know if, like, that just meant, like, Philip all of a sudden, like, got Olympic athlete, like, running ability and just, like, took off, or if he just disappeared, or what. But the Ethiopian is just so overjoyed with meeting Jesus that it doesn't even seem to matter that Philip's gone. He just goes on his way praising and worshiping God. This is the account of the very first African to ever become a Christian. It's pretty cool. He was followed by Alexander, Alexander, um, Clement of Alexandria, Augustine, the great theologian. Today, there's estimated to be 380 million Christians in the continent of Africa. And this guy is the very first convert, the very first follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? It's a radical story of faith, transformation. Now, take Acts 8, and let's just somehow, like, move it into the context of 2016. Say this afternoon you go to the Tustin Marketplace for lunch and you're enjoying lunch there, and you're done with your lunch, and so you get up to leave your table, and as you're heading towards the parking lot, the marketplace, you look over, and there's this guy by himself at a table, and he's reading a Bible. And you're kind of inspired. You were just here at Calvary worshiping, and so you decide to kind of break out of your comfort zone, and you say, hey, it's really cool to see you reading your Bible. The guy kind of looks up, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading Isaiah chapter 53. It, I don't know, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I, who's it talking about? And then you say, well, I'm no Bible expert or anything, but can I sit down and let me share with you what I know. And so you sit down at this table at the Tustin Marketplace and you begin to tell them about Jesus and how Jesus fulfills everything that's talked about in Isaiah 53. And this guy's not a believer and he's just soaking it in. At the end of your conversation, he says, I, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. You're like, that's awesome. Okay. And so you pray together, and he receives Christ in that moment at that table at the marketplace. And then you both say amen, and he looks up, and he sees a fountain. 
And he's like, hey, why don't I just get baptized and just tell everybody I'm a Christian right now? And you're like, uh, all right. So you both take off your shoes and you jump in the fountain. You're like, this is crazy, but this is awesome. And, and so you go, I've never done this before, but in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and you dunk them under the water and you pull them out and he celebrates and you celebrate and you're hugging. You're both crying. And then um, the Irvine Company's finest, <laughs> a security guard on a bike, shows up and he's like, what are you doing you're both sopping wet, and you have like these sheepish grins, and you're like, ah, we're Isaiah 53, and Jesus, and baptism, and it's Matt Don't's fault. <laughs> what would you say in that situation? Maybe that's like totally outlandish, but this might be a scenario that's a little bit closer to home. Imagine that next weekend, uh, you go down to the beach baptisms, and you're at Corona Del Mar, and we call that little Pirate's Cove, and you're on the bluff there, and you're looking down at those that are being baptized. And you're just celebrating. And all of a sudden, there's this family who had just come to the beach, and they're walking by the same place that you're at, and they're kind of looking down, and they're also looking at you, and they realize that you're kind of connected to what's happening down there. And they say, hey, with all due respect, we don't want to offend you, but, like, what's going on? Like, what exactly is going on down there? And it makes sense, right? Like there's people like fully dressed, like going out into the water and like getting baptized backwards and then coming out and everyone's cheering and they have their phones and they're taking videos and pictures and it's kind of weird if you really think about it. And so you're thinking to yourself, you're like, what do I, how do I explain what's actually going on here? Uh, there was a little boy who was once asked what baptism was. He said, it's when the preacher holds you underwater and you think about Jesus. <laughs> I think that's cool. So you're sitting with this family and you don't know what to say and then all of a sudden, sadly, most of your life is built around movies. So all of a sudden, all you can think about is this scene right here. Watch this scene on the screen. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's game. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you. <laughs> Felicitations. I get it. Some of your entire lives are built around movie quotes. And so. This family's generally asking you, like, what are they doing down there? And you get that scene out of your mind. And then you get serious with them. And you go, well, here's what's going on. And the first scripture that you go to is Matthew 3. So let's turn there right now. Go from Acts 8. Go back in your Bible to Matthew 3. We're asking ourselves the question, what exactly are we doing when it comes to baptism? Matthew 3 is the account of Jesus. Jesus was baptized. I want you to read it for yourself. Matthew 3, 13. 
It says, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. You can see on the screen a map of Israel. So to the north is the Sea of Galilee. That is actually the Jordan River is above the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It receives its water from Mount Hermon mountain range. So the water pours down into a couple different springs. It forms the Jordan River, pours into the Sea of Galilee. And then out of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River kind of comes back together again and goes all the way down Israel until you reach the Dead Sea. John the Baptist was somewhere between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, baptizing people. There was many that were coming from Jerusalem to the west. They were hearing about this guy that ate insects and wore strange clothing, and they were coming out more out of curiosity than anything. But some were hearing the message that John gave, which was repent of your sins. Be baptized. The Messiah is coming. And so some were doing that out there in the wilderness with John. It says here in Matthew 3.13 that Jesus came from Galilee to the north, found John, and then look at what John does when he sees Jesus. Verse 14. It says, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I have a need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Like immediately John recognizes who Jesus is. He doesn't feel worthy. Let me remind you that John's name is John the Baptist. And he was a guy who didn't feel qualified to baptize this man who showed up. But then look what Jesus says in verse 15. It says, But Jesus answered him and said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus had a plan here. He wasn't coming to John to be baptized for the repentance of his sins because Jesus didn't have any sin to repent of. It's actually just the opposite. Jesus came to John to be baptized for a couple of really profound reasons. The first being, as you see here in the scriptures, to proclaim that he was the righteous one. There had never been one who was completely right with God. There would never be one again who was completely right with God. But Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He was completely sinless. He comes to John for another reason too. Not only proclaim his righteousness, but also to step into the priestly duties. This is really profound as I've studied this. So a priest in this time era would assume the duties of a priest at the age of 30. Luke records that at the time of Jesus' baptism, he was exactly 30 years old. A priest would also have a ceremonial cleansing. It was to kind of show everyone that he was going to be set apart as he performed the priestly duties. Jesus' baptism, in a sense, is his ceremonial cleansing. And as a priest was commissioned into his duties, he would have a blessing poured out over him, proclaimed over him. Check out the blessing that Jesus receives. Matthew 3, 16. It says, After being baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom 
I am well pleased. Talk about a powerful blessing. Jesus' blessing came not from a man, but from God himself. As you see, all three members of the triune Godhead present at this time. The Father, the Son, and Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing moment. A moment that probably John, even though he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you, probably didn't fully understand. A moment that those who had come from Jerusalem to kind of hang out and watch this sideshow that John was doing obviously couldn't quite comprehend. But the reality of what was happening there was amazing. It's Jesus saying, I'm the righteous one. I'm fulfilling the priestly duties, the ultimate priest who's giving the ultimate sacrifice. Not just a lamb that has to be repeated year after year, but I'm going to give myself, the righteous one, as a sacrifice. Shed my blood for the sins of all people. Today, people remember that they head to Israel. This is our own Pastor Matt Davis and Dan and Annika Herring in the Jordan River. Being, Annika's being baptized here. This is like two months ago. It's really cool. People return to this area. We don't know exactly where Jesus was in the Jordan. Some people think it was in this little area here. And so here they are just participating in baptism. One really cool thing about this picture, I don't know if you can see it from your seat, but there's a woman that's behind him that's kind of leaning against the railing. She actually didn't even know Matt or the Herrings or anyone in their group, but she wanted to be baptized. And so she waited, and after Annika got baptized, she came up to Matt, and Matt baptized her, which I think is just kind of cool. The baptizing pastor from Calvary Church. So we're following Jesus' example when we get baptized, knowing that that's what he did in the Jordan. John again says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just a side note too, uh, God's word is so powerful. I just met with a Russian pastor who was in the KGB in the 80s and 90s. KGB is like the CIA of Russia. And he self-admittedly said, like, I was a bad dude. He heard this very verse translated into Russian and became a Christian based on just reflecting on this verse. Isn't that cool? That God's word has such power to change people's lives. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what Jesus is proclaiming when he's baptized. So for us, when we follow his example, we're also proclaiming the same thing. Here's another thing that I want you to see. Is that the word that's used for the word baptism, the original language word, used in verse 13, 14, and in uh, 16, is this word baptizo. Makes sense, baptism, baptizo. But it very specifically means to immerse or dip. This was a word that wasn't just exclusive to the Bible. It was used throughout that time frame to describe a lot of different things. For example, baptizo was used to describe when they would take a cloth and they would dip it and dye and it would change colors. So you'd have one color, you would dip it all the way under the water, let it soak, and then it would change colors. Do you see that? So that was called baptizoing a fabric, immersing it, dipping it. Notice the change too. You're forever changed when you're baptizoed by something. 200 years before Jesus was born, there was this physician named Nicander, 
And Nicander also dabbled in recipes, so to speak. And he wrote a recipe that was later found, thousands of years later, um, about making pickles. And he said, here's what you have to do. You take a cucumber and you baptizo, use that word baptizo, in the vinegar, and eventually you get pickles. Some of your minds are blown right now. You're like, that's how they get pickles? (laughs) Just a side note, a little insight into my life. I bought this on Friday so I could show this to you today. And Friday night, my wife Marie said, let's barbecue some hamburgers. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. She's like, well, the only thing holding me back from that is we don't have any pickles. I'm like, that's kind of random. This, <laughs> you're not going to barbecue because you want pickles. But I'm like, I actually have a whole jar of pickles in the car. And so there's actually one less pickle than I wanted to show you here this morning. But I want you, when you think of pickles, to think of this word baptizo, to dip or to immerse. And so here in Matthew, as it's described in Jesus' baptism, it said that he was baptizo. He was dipped or immersed under the water. So that's one of the reasons that here at Calvary, we immerse people, we put them under the water, rather than do what some churches do, which is sprinkle or pour. We take the original language and we say, hey, I think that's how Jesus was baptized, so we're going to do the same thing. And so that's the first reason. If you were with a family at Corona Del Mar and they're like, what's going on down there? You say, well, we're following the example of Jesus. Here's another reason. We are also identifying with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn from Matthew 3 and go through your Bible to Romans chapter 6. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts, and then you hit Romans. Romans 6, look at verse 3. Romans 6, 3 says this. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, a pickle changes from a cucumber to a pickle. It never goes back to a cucumber. It's changed. The identity changes of that vegetable. You and I, when we are spiritually baptized, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our identity changes. We're no longer this old person stuck in sin. We're now a new person, cleansed by the blood of the great and ultimate priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? Total identity change. It says here in 6.4, newness of life. Verse 5 goes on, For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certain we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So spiritually placing your faith in Christ does this. When you say, Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. You're united with Jesus in his death. His shed blood on the cross now applies to you. It's your death on the cross as you connected and united to Christ. And you're united to Jesus' resurrection. 
Jesus, the Bible says, on the third day rose again, overcoming sin, conquering death. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you're now united to Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. You, as a believer of Christ, new identity, new self, have victory over sin and death because of Jesus. It's wonderful. This is life-changing news. This is news that you shouldn't, like, just can't wait to tell people about because everything changes. So, when it comes to water baptism, there can be a little bit of fuzziness of like, okay, well, what role does water baptism have? Romans 6 is talking about my spiritual baptism with my faith in Christ, but where does water baptism fit into that? Well, let me just show you. You don't have to turn there, but look at Romans 10.9 on the screen. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's it say? Saved. Okay, so that's what happens. You confess Christ. Believe in your heart. That's faith. So where does baptism fit into that? Well, here, please listen to this. Water baptism isn't an automatic ticket to heaven. It's not something that you buy on StubHub. Water baptism can't get you into heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 says it clearly. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Without faith, water baptism is just you getting wet. Faith is the component. As we believe in Christ, our identity changes. Cucumber to pickle. And then out of that, we say, God, it's your grace I'm going to proclaim my identity change. And one of the ways I proclaim it is through water baptism. Water baptism is an outward symbol and sign of an inward personal faith. It's really beautiful if you think about the idea that as you're plunged, dipped, immersed underwater, you're remembering that Christ died for your sins. Because under the water, in a sense, you're dead. Like if we kept you under the water you would die. I don't want to freak anyone out who's thinking about getting baptized. We, we do bring you up. But like, as you go under the water, you're remembering Christ's death for you. Remembering that in your sins, you were dead. You couldn't do anything because you were dead person walking. But then what symbolizes you come out is the newness of life that Romans 6, 4 talks about. As you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been made new. As you come out of the water, you're united You're symbolizing that in Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, you have new life. So I don't know, maybe if you've already been baptized, you didn't think about that. But as you're under the water and as you come out of the water, there's like a deep meaning to that. It's one of the great things that we celebrate through water baptism here at Calvary. So you're sitting next to this couple or family and they're like, what are they doing down there? Well, you're following Jesus' example. You're identifying with the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And then here's a third thing. This is important. Is that you're obeying the call of Jesus. Look at one more passage, Matthew 28. Go from Romans back over to Matthew. It's the last chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus has already rose from the dead. He's addressing the 11 remaining disciples. 
And he says these words in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. This is often nicknamed the Great Commission. Jesus, in verse 18, says this. He came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So these are some of the last recorded words of Jesus on earth before he ascended into heaven. And so you figure that Jesus only has a few more things to say. This is one of the things that's recorded. So this must be really important. Jesus is saying, go. That's one of the reasons here at Calvary that we're so passionate about global missions. Because we take this passage seriously. To go, to send people into the nations and disciple them. Disciple is just a fancy word for saying, making followers of Jesus who grow, who look more like Jesus each day. So it says, go, make disciples, and then baptize them. One of the things that we do here at Calvary when we do water baptisms, we say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason we say that is because these are the exact words that Christ calls us to say, as we're saying, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first century church took this commission seriously. They went. They went a lot of places. They made disciples and they baptized. You can see some of the references that are on the screen. They're in your notes too. Earlier in Acts 2, 3,000 people believe and are baptized. Can you imagine doing 3,000 baptisms? Like the disciples' arms are like throbbing and they're like, oh. Maybe that's the only thing a pastor thinks about. I don't know. But uh, in Acts chapter 9, you have the radical conversion of Paul. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He persecuted Christians. He meets Jesus in a real way, becomes a follower of Christ, and then he's baptized in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 10, we see the beautiful story of the first Gentiles, the first non-Jewish people being baptized as Peter gets to be part of that. Radical conversion, radical identity change. In Acts 16, you read about the first European converts. Acts 8 talks about the first African follower of Christ. Then we have Lydia, the first European convert. And her and her whole family become Christians and then are baptized. Later in Acts 16, you have the story of the Roman jailer who has another incredible experience with the Lord and is baptized. Acts 18, Crispus, who was a Jewish religious leader, had everything to lose by becoming a Christian. He comes to Christ and is baptized. Acts 19, the first believers in what we call modern-day Turkey follow Christ and are baptized. So the early church, the first century church, took the words of Jesus seriously. They went out, they made disciples, and they baptized Our call is to do the same. And one of the cool side effects of that is that we get to be part of the global family of God. Think about, like, next week when we do baptisms, think about all the other churches around the world that are also doing baptisms that day or this month or even this year. When you are baptized as a follower of Christ, you join an incredible line of heroes, great cloud of witnesses, Hebrew talks about, who have proclaimed their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you caught the email that we put out earlier this week. But I was really struck by the story of this girl in East Malaysia. She was a teenager, and she came to her church to be baptized. There was a visiting pastor from Texas. His name's Jim. Jim was kind of watching everything take place. And he noticed that this teenage girl had suitcases with her when she came to the baptism. Later, when it was just Jim and the pastor who baptized this young girl, he asked the pastor about it. He said, what was the deal with her bringing her suitcases? Was she doing like a sleepover somewhere? The pastor said, no. Her family told her that if she was baptized as a Christian, that she could never return home again. And so all of her stuff was in those suitcases. When I hear stories like that, I honestly get a little jealous because I think of my own baptism experience, maybe yours as well. We didn't face that type of black and white, okay, I'm standing up and proclaiming I can never go back. Although we live in a more comfortable society, at least at this point here in Orange County, to proclaim Christ, I don't want that to minimize the seriousness and awesomeness of your baptism. When you are baptized, when you say my inward faith has changed me and now I outwardly want to proclaim that, you're following the example of Jesus. You're identifying with his life, his death, his resurrection, and you're obeying his call. These are worthwhile things, don't you agree? Baptism is an important thing of our church. Let me finish with this. I read to you Acts chapter 8. One of the verses that stuck out to me in that was Acts 8.36. It simply says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? This is the Ethiopian talking. He had just made a decision to follow Jesus. He sees water and says, what's holding me back? Let me invite you to consider that same question. What prevents you from being baptized? If you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's, uh, I'm shy, I don't like to be the center of attention. I think the things that we've covered this morning are worth overcoming your shyness for. Maybe it's like, I'm waiting for the perfect moment, Matt. Like, you know, like I want to be in the Jordan River. I want to have like, you know, my birthday and the day I became a Christian all line up in this perfect triangle and then that's the very hour I'll get back. It's like, Just go for it. Your baptism isn't the end of your faith. Your baptism, in a sense, is just another step in your faith. Don't wait until you've arrived. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, I say go for it. Now is the time. Maybe you're not a believer in Christ, though. Today can be the day that you do that. It's simply acknowledging your sin admitting that you can't save yourself and inviting Jesus, the righteous one, the pure spotless lamb of God to come into your life and simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my savior, the leader, the Lord of my life. If that's your heart conviction, you can become a follower of Jesus today. And then look, there's water Why don't I be baptized? We're going to respond with worship in just a moment. But I'm going to invite you as we worship through music. If next week we're doing this baptism, if 
if you're feeling the call from God, I need to do this. I want you just boldly to get out of your seat as we worship and join me over here on this side of our worship center. And I'd love to talk with you. We have some other pastors and elders that will be there as well. We'd love just to talk with you and encourage you and sign you up in a sense to jump through this idea, this great spiritual truth of being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you have questions and you're kind of wondering, well, I don't know, what about, what, should I get rebaptized? I was baptized as a baby, what do I do? On the back side of your notes, this is really key. If you got that little booklet when you came in, on the back side, we do some frequently asked questions about baptisms here at Calvary Church. I apologize, the font is like two. But I encourage you to look through that. There's some really important things for you to read through, and it will help answer a lot of questions that you may have. So with that in mind, let me pray. And let's invite God to continue to work in our hearts and lives. Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love by coming into this world. You didn't have to do that, but you did. Lord, thank you for not only coming into this world, but then going willingly to the cross, shedding your blood, paying the ultimate price for our sin. Thank you, Christ, that because you were God in the flesh, the grave couldn't hold you. You've overcome death. You have victory over sin. And God, I pray that in this moment that we would relish in the fact that you are the victor. And God, that we would just run to you and worship right now with hearts of thankfulness. Lord, some of us here need to take this step. Pray that you'd give us courage and boldness to do so now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.